All right. Oh, of course. Welcome, Reeves. Um, all right, folks, ladies and gentlemen, a formal welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. It is great to see you on this Sunday, March 14th. We are studying our text, which is Overcoming Folly. I love this text. I absolutely love this work. This, it's not, it's not, it's not just one discourse. It's like dozens of discourses all in a series of, of exploration. Just to reset the objective, because I think that's always important, the objective of this book is to understand what psychologies or what ideas um, get in the way of us making good decisions. Like, what are the thought patterns? Give me a hug. What are the thought patterns? No, you can have it over there. What thought processes get in the way? Mm-hmm get in the way of us making good decisions, right? What is it that we're thinking at the time that we make a decision that we'll later regret? Because so often, so often we'll, we'll think back in retrospect and, and retrospect and say, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? We'll even say expressions like, oi, that wasn't me, that I don't know what came over me, etc." As I've said throughout the series, the Talmud has a phrase for that. The Talmud says, Ein Adam over Avera, a person would never commit any sort of indiscretion, Ella im Cain, only if, only if a spirit of folly has entered him or her. Right? Which means that a person thinking correctly, a person thinking in a straightforward fashion, would never do something to go against their own well being. And when I say well-being, I mean physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual well-being. A person would never act in a way that contradicts their own well-being unless a spirit of folly enters them. Now, lest it sound like a spirit of folly made me do it and you can plead, you know, if this were a court, if this were a court of law, you could say, it wasn't me. The spirit of folly made me do it. Understand this, that the spirit of folly is completely our choice, whether or not we're going to listen to that spirit of, spirit of folly. I don't know why I did that, because it, it literally is listen to that spirit of folly or not. That is within our volition. It's our choice whether or not we're going to listen to that spirit of folly. So the whole purpose of this book is to understand how does the spirit of folly get into our heads or get into our ears, if that's the right phrase, right? How does it offer its, its, its opinion in a way that is super attractive, and we say, you know what, that sounds great, until later we say, we say to ourselves, that was ridiculous, what did I do? So how is the spirit of folly representing itself as such a logical, great option, when in fact, in truth, it's not, how does it dress itself up so nicely? And once we understand that, we can have, we, ha, we will, will be more, um, we'll just be, what, what do they say? Forewarned is forearmed or something like that. And if no one ever said that, well, then there you go. So the point is that if we know in what form the spirit of folly approaches, we can be more prepared to fend it off and to push it away. That's really the core idea here. So if you're not expecting it, you get this spirit of folly sneak attack, well, it's much easier to fall prey 
to the old, to the old spirit of folly. But if you know how the spirit of folly sounds, then you and I will be like, oh yeah, that's the spirit of folly. I know what's gonna, I know how the script plays out, not doing it now. Like not, not gonna make that mistake once again, been there, done that. So that's kind of the, the overarching objective. Now, if you've been here for the last, I don't know, how many sessions have we had? 10, 12 sessions or so. So then you'll know this because we've, this is, this is the core. But I think as, you know, every week we get into, we get into details. It's very important on a regular basis to kind of zoom out and see the bigger picture. The idea here is simply to identify the foolishness or the foolish ideas that are offered by the animal soul, the evil inclination, whatever you want to call that inner voice. What are those ideas? And then how can we deflect them in a healthier fashion? But knowing what they are helps us deflect them. By the way, parenthetically, not so parenthetically, there's a wonderful teaching in Hayom Yom. Hayom Yom is the daily thought, thought for the day. Hasidic, Kabbalistic, Jewish, inspirational thought for the day that the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, composed in the, 19, in the early 1940s. He did it essentially once. So there's one thought for each day of the Jewish calendar. And every year we go through it again. There's a wonderful entry. I forget which day it is. There's a wonderful entry that says that the evil inclination is so crafty that it can even dress itself up as a tzaddik, as a righteous individual. In other words, it can approach a person, the evil inclination, with a cloak of piety, wearing a, a talis, a prayer shawl, you know, like just, I mean, metaphorically, right? Not literally, but like dressed up as a tzaddik, as, as, as like the best idea ever. No, let's do this. This is like, this would be the most righteous thing to do. In the meantime, it is not righteous at all. So it requires a lot of, a lot of skill, well, I don't know, skill, it requires a lot of intuition, a lot of um, preparation to really understand what is, what, what, what are my healthy inner thoughts, what are my not-so-healthy inner thoughts, and when those not-so-healthy inner thoughts rise to the surface of my consciousness, how can I move them to the side and stay in a good place? That's really the key here. One related point is that thought, known in Hebrew as machshava, thought doesn't stop. This is really important. So there are three garments of the soul, which is a point that we're going to actually explore in our text inside today. There are th but let, might as well do this now. There are three garments of the soul. The soul itself is comprised of ten soul powers. Chachma, Bina, and Dat, Chabad. Chachma, Bina, Dat, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Chesed, Gevura, Tefer, Netzach, Hod, Yisod, Malchut. So three intellectual powers, seven emotional powers. So this is not a class doing a deep dive into those ten powers of the soul, so I'm not really going to translate them. Just, you should know there are ten powers of the soul, three intellectual, seven emotional. That's the soul itself. But the soul has levushim. Levushim are garments, like, like clothing. Now, not literal clothing, but it's metaphorical clothing. So what's the nature of clothes? What's the nature of clothing? So what's the difference between the person and their clothing? Well, the person is who they are. 
The clothing is how the person expresses themselves, right? So just in a very basic example. So a person might feel in a certain mood and then might put on clothing that expresses that mood. So whether it's happiness or the opposite or whether it's um, confidence or the opposite, a person might dress in a way that expresses the way they feel. So clothing is not who we are, but clothing can express who we are. Clothing, unlike the person themselves, can be taken off and switched. Different clothing put on, different clothes, right? So you can switch up the clothing, which is also kind of like the idea of um, even switching up, not the way we feel, but switching up the way we express ourselves. So, for example, a person might feel unhappy inside and yet speak in a very happy, loving, kind way, empathetic way to their loved ones, even though inside they're not feeling so great, right? It's, it's possible, right? That's a, that's a product of a person putting on different clothing than how they feel, so to speak, right? Different soul clothing. So inside, right? Inside the soul, inside the person, what's operating is maybe a negative emotion, but outside, the garments being the outside, right? At least the appearance of the soul manifesting itself in this conversation is one maybe of positivity and joy because like clothing, you can wear different clothing than the way you actually feel inside. So the soul has three garments, three modalities of expression. They are thought, speech, and action. So what we think, not how we think, right? That's something else. It's a little, it's something, it's, it's a little bit different. But what we're thinking at any given moment is considered to be a garment of the soul, meaning that we have the power to change it at any moment to redirect our thoughts. Speech, we also have the power to say something different than the way we feel inside. And of course, action, you and I can do things even when we don't feel like doing them, even when we are not um, so excited about doing them. So that's a little bit about thought, speech, and action could be a Chabad acronym also, right? Yeah, so thought, speech, and action. Machshava, Dibur, Amaisa, Madam, I don't know. Anyway, so here's the point. So what we do, definitely we understand easily could be changed even if we don't feel like that, right? So you don't feel like um, doing a mitzvah, but you can do a mitzvah anyway, even if you don't feel so excited about doing it, right? So action, we know for sure, is a garment that we can switch at will. Um, Speech also, it's a little bit more difficult to hold our tongue from saying what we want to say or to say, you know, something that we do want to say. Either way, it's the the tongue, the mouth, the speech is still in in, in our power. But thoughts are a little bit more difficult. Why? Because thoughts, and this is coming back full circle to how I launched into the three garments, thought is constantly flowing. In the language of Kabbalah, it's like a river that is constantly flowing from its source. So you're not going to stop the river of thoughts. You're not going to stop the torrent of thoughts that flow from within. But, but what's possible is to redirect our thoughts 
into a healthier space. The Rebbe would often advocate the idea of Hesach Hadas. Hesach Hadas means don't think about it. People would write in, um, I'm actually working, this is uh, off the radar, or not, not official news, although, I mean, I guess it's official now. But I'm working, I may have mentioned this before also, I'm working on a book with Chabad.org on the Rebbe's guidance about wellness, mainly psychological and emotional wellness issues. The Rebbe got, I think at one point, more mail than the President of the United States. The Rebbe got just an incredible amount of mail, physical mail, this is before email, right? Physical mail, letter sent to Chabad headquarters, 770 Eastern Parkway. Many of the questions were about health and wellness. When I say health, I don't only mean about, you know, physical health, but I mean emotional, psychological, these types of, that type of, of health and wellness. And very often, the Rebbe, in response, would say something to the effect of, don't think about it. Try to, try to not think about it because the more you think about it, the more you're fueling this whatever it is. And the Rebbe used this concept in many different areas of application, right? So the idea of not thinking about it could relate to anything from certain anxieties to um, spiritual questions as well. But the, the, the core answer for many questions was the same, this idea of Hesach don't think about it. But the Rebbe would always, not always, but oftentimes would, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, balance that with the idea, with, 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 with the notion that you can't actually stop thinking, right? You can't actually turn off your thoughts. So if you want to stop thinking about something, it's not so easy to just say, I'm not going to think about it. Right, the famous, uh, right, don't think about a gray elephant or something, right? Don't think about it, and now the next thing you know, you're thinking about it. So the real way to practice hesachadas, which means don't think about it, is not don't think about it. It's replace the negative thought or the anxious thought or the whatever, you know, the not so healthy thought with a healthier thought. That's the key to hesachadas. Hesachadas, which is, don't think about it, really means replace that thought with other thoughts. Why? Because thought is always flowing. Like a river, thoughts are always flowing. So you're never going to full-on stop the thoughts from happening. Say, okay, I'm not thinking about anything now. It's not going to work. If you want to stop thinking about a certain thought, you must replace it with a different thought. That's the key to not thinking about something. So, there is the, the whole purpose of this text. Tobi, I see your question. Uh, sorry, oh, Tony, your question is what is the word again for thoughts are always flowing? Um, I don't know if I gave a Hebrew word for that, but there's a, I think it's just a, just the notion that thoughts are always, oh, the, the Hebrew word for thoughts is machshava. Machshava. I'm putting it into the chat. Machshava. Boom. That's thoughts. Machshava are thoughts. And thoughts by nature are always flowing. So I don't have a word for the flowing part, but thoughts, who by, which by nature are always flowing, are called machshava. Now, 
By the way, Machshavah, if you switch the letters around in Hebrew, it spells the word Besimcha, which means with joy. If you switch around the letters Machshavah, in the Hebrew letters, Mem, Ches, Shin, Vet, He, Machshavah, switch the letters around in a different order, same letters. It spells the word Besimcha, which means with joy or in a, in a state of joy. And that means, as... Jewish wisdom tells us that it's how we think that dictates what state of being emotional being uh, emotional state will be in. So if we want to be in a state of joy, it's dependent on how we think and what we're thinking about. So that's a really important piece of it. We're not going to stop our thoughts, but what we think about is absolutely in our control. Now the brain is a muscle. I don't know if it actually is a muscle biologically, but I'm just but just work with me on this right now. So this is not medical advice, but the brain, right, we can exercise our brain, which means that the more we practice, we practice mindful thought, mindful thinking, the more apt, the more able we are to take control of our thoughts. So instead of being um, passive about our thoughts, and allowing whatever thoughts are conjured up by our subconsciousness to take over our minds, you and I can practice, you want to call it mindfulness or meditation or contemplation. In Hebrew, we would call it hit bonanut, which means probably the most accurate term is contemplation or um, mindful contemplation, proactive contemplation, which means I am going to decide, I'm deciding now that for the next five minutes, I'm going to think about this topic and work, forget five minutes, 30 seconds, and then build up to, to 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and practice little by little exercising the muscle, if you will, of the brain, right, to exercise it to consciously or proactively think about what I want to think about as opposed to the thoughts that are coming up, the thoughts that, that my subconsciousness are throwing at me. This is where our thoughts are in our control. That's why Kabbalah refers to thought, machshava, as a garment. A garment is something that can be changed at will. You can decide to switch your garments and put on different clothing. That's what a garment is. Now, your, yourself, you can't switch that out. You are you, right? I'm saying physically. But your garments, you can change. Clothing can change. Kabbalah says thought is not part of self. It's part of garment of the soul. That's really important. You with me on this? Thought is not the selfhood of the soul. It's a garment of the soul, which means that even though it sometimes, th sometimes feels like we we, we're not in control of our thoughts. Like we have to think about this thing and it's driving us crazy. Kabbalah says, you don't. You don't actually have to think about this thing. That is in your control. You and I have control over our thoughts, whether we choose to think about it or not. Again, we can choose to not think about anything. That's very difficult because thought is always flowing. 
Typically, thought is always flown. Um, but what we think about is absolutely within our control, and that's where hitbonenut, contemplation, Jewish meditation, whatever you want to call it, um, practice, practiced, mindful thought. That's where that comes into play. It's a Hasidic practice. Ideally every day, if not every day, at least once a week. Typically Shabbat morning. To take time before prayer and to study. Kabbalah, Hasidic philosophy, to study. Jewish mysticism. And then, this is all before, before the time that we pray. And then to spend time, right, you're studying, and then to take some time to think about what you studied. And to think about it, and to focus on it, and to spend time until you're really connected with one or two of the ideas that you just studied. And only then to pray. And to pray with the certain meditation or the certain contemplation in mind. And, and, and one could say, oh, it's a, it's a wonderful spiritual thing. And that's true. It's a, it's, it's a more connective it's a more connected prayer experience. That all of that is true. But we can lose focus of the benefits of that as well, the practical benefits. The more we exercise control over our mind, the more we have the ability to be able to, to, to focus on what we choose to focus on, the more likely, we'll, the more able we are when, the, when negative thoughts hit us on a random Tuesday to be able to take control of our minds and ease that negative thought out and focus on what we want to focus on. But that's only if we've trained our mind to do so. If we don't have the training, not don't have the training, if we don't put in the work, if we don't put in the effort, it's so much more difficult to be in control of our thoughts. And, and a person could, could be in a state where they are a victim to their own thoughts. When I say victim, whatever thoughts, positive, negative, destructive, self-destructive, whatever thoughts come up, that overwhelms the brain and overwhelms the person. It's possible that a person could be in that state. And I, I don't want to oversimplify it. It's not like, you know, a, a, a simple solution, but one approach, again, your mileage may vary. Obviously, there are factors that can go way beyond what I'm discussing today, certainly. That goes, that's the understood, but I feel like it's important to state it, caveat. But in, and I would say, normative situations, when people, you know, when you and I are, when we find ourselves thinking negative thoughts, a, a, a very important tool to have in our toolbox is having put in that effort of contemplation to be able to then mindfully decide what we're going to think about. It's kind of like back in the day before browsers had ad blockers. And by the way, if you don't know that, ad, that browsers have ad blockers, you should know that ad browsers have ad blockers that you, can, uh, that you can put on your computer, which means that you don't need to get any pop-ups or ads or whatever it is. If you want to read an article, you're reading the article, no advertisement. Now, I know that advertisement pays for things, and that raises a whole other ethical question about, you know, blocking someone's source of revenue. We'll have to deal with that in another class. Nonetheless, um, think about the example of a pop-up ad, right? You innocently went to a certain place to find out certain information, and out of nowhere, boom, you get a pop-up. The question now is, 
And let's say the pop-up is not so kosher, so to speak, yeah? So now here's the question. The question is, what do you do with it? Do you click the X in the corner? Do you click, do you, do you shut it down? Or do you click on the read more or whatever it is, right? Or do you click for more information? So what do you do with the pop-up? In a similar way, that's how our mind works. Our subconscious sends us messages, sends us information. The que- some of it good, some of it not so good. And we'll see soon where those two forces are driven from, different souls. We'll get there in a second. The question, though, is what do, what do we do with the pop-up? So it popped up in our brains. Now it's a choice. Do we think about it or do we don't think about it? And that's what it means to practice hesach hadas. I'm going to write that in the chat as well, so you, at least in the English, hesach hadas. That means not thinking about it. Not thinking about it doesn't mean that it doesn't come into your mind. It came into your mind. But active thought, what are you actively thinking about? You have the choice. You and I have the choice that when it comes into the mind, to deflect it and to keep on thinking about what you and I want to think about. All right. So that's all related to the objective of this book, which is overcoming folly which is all about understanding how we work and how we think so that when a negative thought pops up into our minds, we have the ability to recognize it as such as a negative thought, the ability to move it away and to continue focusing where we need to be focusing. But to do that, we have to know what are the telltale signs of those negative pop-ups. So today we're going to talk about a few of these, a few of these items. But specifically, I want to start with the idea of form and function. In the language of Jewish philosophy and mysticism, we call this chomer and tzura. Now, I don't want to give you the English translation of chomer and tzura because it's going to make it complicated. So I'm going to describe what chomer is and what tzura is. Chomer means the substance of a thing. Tsura means its function, its utility, its purpose. So chomer is the mass, the matter, the substance of a thing, chomer. Tsura is why it is, its function, its purpose, its utility. Chomer, matter, tsura, spirit, if you will. And in general, in creation... The way God created the universe is that Chomer and Surah work hand in hand. A thing's substance, typically, is attuned to its purpose. So, for example, using a very simple biological example, the eye, right, the physical eye is attuned to the power, to, to, the, to the function of sight. Correct? Does that make sense? The eye is a really good, I don't know, body part. I don't know if it's called the body part. It's a really good part of the body to allow for sight because of the nature of the eye. It lets in the light. It ha- However the eye works, its, its, phys- its physical properties are attuned to its purpose and utility and function, which is sight. You know what's not good for sight? Yeah, you know what's terrible at sight? 
the finger. Yeah, the finger is not good for sight. Right? Why? Because the finger doesn't have any of the properties that the physical that a physical thing would need in order to be able to see. By the way, until you get to the messianic era where it says Vro Kabasar Yachtov, Hashem Dibur, that all flesh will see the mouth of God speaking, right? All, all flesh will see kind of the truth behind everything, that God is the architect of, of creation of existence. And that means all flesh will see, not just the eyes will see, but all flesh will see. Even the, even the finger will see. But that's all in the future time. But right now, right, the finger doesn't do a great job of seeing. The eye does a good job of seeing. Why? Because the physical property of the eye is attuned to the spiritual energy or the, the function of sight. Chomer and Surah are working hand in hand. Form and function. So the form of the eye, or the matter of the eye, the actual substance of the eye, works perfectly according to its function, its intended utility. Ideally. And this is true typically with everything in creation. Everything is designed in a way that it should fit its intended utility. God, the master architect, created the universe in such a way that things just work. They work the way they're intended to be. Science has been doing a great job, especially lately, of, well, always, but figuring out how things are working, you know, how things on a, on a, on a physical level are, are operating. And it's incredible when you look at the mysteries of how demystifying, how things work, it's actually incredible to see this interplay between Chomer and Surah, between form and function, between a thing's substance and how it works. It's actually incredible. And the more you learn, the more you realize, the more you see how perfectly exquisite the design of the universe is. And so everything, now let's talk a little bit spiritually, everything is created in a way that it should be true to its purpose. So inanimate items, inanimate objects are created in a way that's true to their purpose. Vegetation is created in a way that is true to its purpose. The animal kingdom is created in a way that is true to its purpose. And human beings are created also in a way in which we are at least meant to be true to our purpose. However, when it comes to the human being, as we've been discussing the last several weeks, there is what we might think of as a glitch, right? It's not really a glitch, but it could seem like a glitch. What's the glitch? The glitch is that there's a part of us that fights against our purpose. So although typically form and function, right, a thing substance and its purpose typically are working hand in hand, within the human being, there is a little bit of a glitch. There's a little bit of a, of a breach in that connection. Where, where did we see that first? With Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And, and the first emergence of friction happened not within the human being, but outside of the human being in the form of a serpent, right? Remember that snake in the Garden of Eden, right? If a snake in the Garden of Eden comes over to you and says, try that apple, do not try that apple. 
It wasn't it. it what probably wasn't an apple, but either way, you get my point, right? Um, so, so what happens? Adam and Eve are told not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they are not intending to eat from the tree. And before long, lo and behold, what happens? Boom! The serpent comes and says to Eve, "Go and try it." And the next thing you know. They're all trying, Adam and Eve are trying, are, are tasting from the forbidden fruit. So it's the serpent, right, that is the embodiment of the voice or, yeah, a voice, an inner voice at least, or, sorry, that was an outer voice, but a voice that says, yes, you are created in a certain way for a certain purpose, but why don't you try this that is completely different than your purpose, right? So you're created to fulfill a certain purpose and everything about you is created in a way that should be true to that purpose, but this voice says, try something else, right? Put up a wall, put up a firewall, a barrier between the substance and the purpose, between the chomer and the tzura. That act, that sin, that choice of Adam and Eve put up a wall internally between form and function, between Chomer and Surah. And what that means is that from that time until today, human beings have not an outer voice in the form of the serpent, but have internalized that voice, and that voice is now inside, a voice that tells us to act contrary, to choose contrary to our intended purpose. Everything in creation is created in a perfectly symbiotic way, form and function, chomer and tzura. Everything is true to purpose, except potentially for the human being. The human being initially was outside, now it's inside, has a voice, has a drive, an inclination that says, you know what? Let's disconnect form and function. Let's disconnect matter and utility or intention, purpose. Let's, let's, let's create two separate areas. Yes, theoretically, this is my purpose, but practically, right now, I'm doing something completely different with my chomer, with my body. That's the firewall that I'm talking about. Let me check in and make sure this makes sense. Does this make sense what I'm saying? Yes? We call this free choice. We call this free choice. Free choice means that I have the ability, you and I, we have the ability to disregard our intended purpose and instead do something that is completely different, maybe even antithetical, completely opposite from our intended purpose. So we, we, we know what our purpose is. We, we're, we're absolutely clear about what we're meant to be doing. And we're absolutely clear as to, as to the fact, perhaps we're even absolutely clear as to that's the only reason why we're created. Like we only exist, the, the, the form, the chomer, this, this substance only exists to fulfill this purpose. And yet... We can put a, a wall in between those two and say, purpose is purpose, but pleasure is pleasure. Right now, this is what I'm going to do. 
right? And that has nothing to do with what my purpose is, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is the folly, this is the shtus, this is the folly that can enter our, our minds. Or we have that spirit of folly within us, this is the spirit of folly that we might sometimes listen to, that, that gets in the way, that breaches, if you will, the perfect um, symbiotic relationship between Chomer and Surah, form and function. So, what does this mean for us? What this means is, or, or what, this, what this means for us is that human beings are unique in, which, in that we, we are the only creatures that have free choice. Every other creature on the face of the earth perfectly lives its truth. Every creature on earth, every existence on earth follows its intended function perfectly. Right? Even when we see an animal, a plant, this, that, doing something, you know, maybe that's unexpected. It's unexpected to us, but it is following its, its biology is following its purpose as designed by God. It's all working perfectly as planned. Science, sorry, nature works as designed. The only time the nature does not work as designed, now, by the way, you, scientists may be curious and need further study as to, fi- to figure out why something works the way it works, but everything has an explanation. Everything works the way it's designed to work by the master architect, by God, with the exception of the human being. The human being is the only creature in existence that's been given free choice. And free choice means that we have the choice whether or not we're going to allow our purpose to dictate our actions or will we let some other factors, pleasure, whatever it is, dictate our actions and disregard the purpose for our being. This is the choice that we have. This is what it means that human beings have free choice. It's very important to understand this. I mentioned it last week. But I, I'm mentioning it again now in this, uh, in, this, in, in this kind of this intro to the text that we're going to study inside. It's very important to know that Jewish philosophers and Kabbalah emphasize very strongly that Bechir Chavshis, free choice, only exists within human beings within the realm of moral choices, right and wrong. That is where there is the potential for resistance. Why? Because that's the only space in which God created a dissenting voice to go against his own purpose. Does that make sense? That's the only space when it comes to moral decisions, right versus wrong. That's the only space that God allowed for there to be a dissenting voice, initially in the form of a serpent, now in the form of an internal voice that says, you know what? You're supposed to be doing the right thing, but come walk with me down the dark side, down the other side. Let's try something else, right? It'll be a little bit more fun. That's where there's a potential for free choice. It's not a glitch. I said before it's a glitch. It's not really a glitch. It's intentional. God created the serpent in the Garden of Eden as a test. Adam and Eve, well, they, they didn't pass the test in the, in, in, a, in the traditional way. Because of that, the voice now of the serpent is no longer outside. It's internalized. It's inside. And, and, and henceforth, human beings have had this struggle inside, this internal struggle. So in the language of Judaism, we call this Yetzir Tov and Yetzir Hara, the good inclination and the evil inclination. 
In the language of Kabbalah, more subtly we might call it, Nefesh Elokit, Nefesh Bahamit, Godly soul, animal soul. No matter how you define it, right, whatever language, and, and there are differences in those, two, in those two different ways of describing the, um, the duality, but either way, what's, what's the same about all of these terms is that the human being, you and I, we possess a duality. Everything else is not, comp- not everything else in existence is uncomplicated. It's simple. It's created a certain way to be a certain way, and it's smooth. It doesn't glitch. It's, it, 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 it is the way it's supposed to be. An animal is created a certain way to be a certain way, to do certain things, and that's it. The human being is also created a certain way to do certain things, fulfill our spiritual mission here on earth, yet we're given another energy, another force inside, another soul, another operating system that says, do the opposite. And this is what we contend with on a consistent basis, which, by the way, is one of the major ideas of the book of Tanya, the Bible of Chabad Hasidic philosophy, where he says, essentially, don't feel bad about the struggle because the struggle is our purpose. Our purpose is to struggle, at least post-sin of the, of the tree of knowledge. That's, that's our fate. Our fate is to struggle. So don't let that get you down. Like, get, going back to the letters that I mentioned before, the Rebbe would write to many people that were expressing their, their difficulty in dealing with this struggle of, 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 of life. The Rebbe would often, would often respond by saying, don't get caught up in the struggle. I mean, yes, you are. We're all stuck in the struggle, but don't get hesachadas. Stop, stop obsessing over it. Just do what you need to do. Yeah, you'll have other voices, other, other temptations inside. Don't give it more power. Don't give it more energy than is needed. But here's but 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 the the bigger point here is, and the main point of why I'm mentioning all this, is to understand that human beings have a we are wired from the inside now, not from the outside, but from the inside to sabotage our own purpose. There is a, there's a voice inside of us that seeks, to, and I'm using a heavy term here intentionally, that seeks to sabotage our purpose, that seeks to drive a wedge in between our chomer and our tzura, between our form and our function, between who we are and what we're meant to do. That voice is trying to drive a wedge there. But here's the crazy thing. That voice itself that's driving the wedge is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Right? That voice inside, whether in the form of the original serpent that was external to mankind, to humankind, or now that internal voice the animal soul, the inclination, whatever you want to call it, that is li- that voice itself is living true to function. Sorry, is living true to purpose. That voice is absolutely Chomer and Surah compatible. It's doing exactly what it's meant to be doing. We are the only ones that are contending with the duality, right? Not the animal soul or the evil inclination. 
That does not have a duality. That is not conflicted. It knows what it's supposed to do. It's created to provide opposition, and that's what it's doing. You and I are the only force in existence that deals with this struggle. Welcome to, human, to, to the human struggle. This is what it means to be a human being. Which tells us something phenomenal, and this is going to be the focus of today's session. Evil itself is less devious than a human being that chooses evil. I'll say that one more time. Evil itself is less devious than the human being that chooses said evil. Because that evil is evil, it's not a problem. It's created to be evil, right? But that a human being choose evil, you're not supposed to do that. Are you with me on what I just said? Does that make sense? Yeah? For the evil inclination to be an evil inclination, that's, that's perfectly fine. Hence the name, evil inclination, right? You meet the evil inclination at a bar. What's your name? Evil inclination. So what do you do? I'm the evil inclination. Why the evil inclination? God made me the evil inclination. Fantastic. You know what you're dealing with. But for a human being that also has a good inclination, right? To succumb to the voice, the inner voice of the evil inclination, that is a deviation from what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be not listening to the evil inclination. Not that it's easy. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're, we're not, we're, we're, what we're not supposed to be. We're not supposed to be listening to that voice. So again, in short, I'm going to say that one more time. A person who falls down that rabbit hole of evil inclination, choosing to engage in things that are contrary to his or her purpose, falls in a lower place than the evil itself that they chose or the voice that they listened to. Because the, the voice and the choice itself or the evil itself, all of those are, 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 true, are, are true to purpose. But the human being that chooses it, that's not living true to purpose. It's not easy because we have these inner voices. But that's our purpose. Our purpose is to... Use our mind to push that away. That's how we started today's class. Move it away and focus on what we're supposed to be doing. That's how we're created. That's how we're intended to be. It's not easy, but that's, that's our purpose. Let me give you another way of understanding this. There are two Talmudic statements about the human being. There are many Talmudic statements about the human being, two that I wish to contrast right now. There's one statement that says, Bishvili nevraha olam, which means the world was created for me. The world was created for my sake. And where do we get this notion from? Well, the human being was created last in the order of creation. Right? There's six days of creation before Shabbat. And on the sixth day of creation, God created first the animals. And then the last thing, God created Adam and Eve. And so, one thought is, why are human beings created last? So that, ever, so that the stage is set for the main character. Right? So, 
everything is ready. The landscape, the backdrop, the supporting cast, everything is there. And now you and I, the human being, can roll out with a set table. Everything is set, everything is ready. The main characters arrive, which, could, which leads a person to conclude, Bishwili Nevraha Olam. For me, for my sake, was the entire world created. Everything that's created is as a setup, as a, not setup, but as, as a setting for me to do what I need to be doing. The world is created for my sake. That's one teaching of the Talmud about the human being. The second, why was the human being created last? In order to know that afilu yitosh kadmach, even a gnat or mosquito preceded you, right? That the human being is created last, even the gnat, even the mosquito was created before you. That's a very humbling thought, right? Even the, even the gnat came first. And so the Chassidim of old used to say that you have to have two pieces of paper in your pocket. One that says, Bishrili nevra olam, for me the world is created, or the world is created for my sake. And the other one that says, even a mosquito, even a gnat was created first. And you need these two statements because sometimes we might feel meaningless. We might feel less than. When we're feeling less than, we have to pull out the piece of paper that says, no, the world is created for my sake. I have to have strength. I have to have, um, I have to have um, pride in what I'm doing. I have to have confidence in my mission in life. So when we're feeling a little bit not so confident, then we need to pull out the, 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 the piece of paper, so to speak, that says, Bishrili nevra olam, the world is created for my sake, and, and, and assume a posture of confidence. When we're feeling a little too arrogant, when we're feeling a little bit too egocentric, we have to pull out the other piece of paper that says, even the gnat was created first. And that can, can bring us back down to earth. And so today, as we read inside, we're going to jump into the text in just a moment, as we read inside. So it's important to remember that we are pulling out the second piece of paper. Today is not about the first piece of paper. It's not about the world is created for my sake, although that is also the underlying message. But the overt message is today, at least in this text, is going to be the idea that if we choose behaviors that contradict our purpose, then even the gnat precedes us. Even the gnat is greater than us because the gnat never went against its purpose. We, if we go against our purpose, we're even lower than a gnat. Does that make sense? Or a mosquito. By the way, a mosquito is considered to be the worst form of klipa. Symbolic. Symbolic of the worst form of klipa. Why? Because it takes in and it doesn't give out. Right? I think, biologically, yeah, it sucks blood and it doesn't, yeah. So it, it takes in and it doesn't give out. That's the worst type of klipa. The, the give, give, give. Um, the, sorry, the take, 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 but, but no giving. But even the mosquito precedes a human being when the human being goes against its purpose. Because a gnat or mosquito, let's just, let's, let me just pick one, mosquito. Because a mosquito doesn't actually ever go against its purpose. Even if it's symbolic of taking and not giving, 
That's the way it was created. A human being has a higher potential. So for a human being to fall into a lower space, that's falling much lower than the lower space itself. All right, all of this is what we're going to do inside. I'm going to share my screen in a moment, but let me check in. Any questions or comments thus far? Questions or comments thus far? Yes, Rabbi? Yeah. Hi. Um, so uh, there were two almost conflicting uh, statements uh, of purpose, human's purpose. One, uh, as you stated, our purpose is to do the right thing. Um, follow the Yetzir Tov. And the second was uh, the Rebbe's statement of uh, just, just, just struggle. I mean, you're here to struggle. So just, just focus, uh, you know, don't, don't get too uh, bent out of shape. Don't feel bad about it because you're here. Your purpose is to struggle. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? They're not contradictory. They're the same. It's, it, they work. I hear what you're saying, but they're, they're not contradiction necessarily. In other words, the, the ultimate purpose is to stay focused on what's to choose the right thing. But if we feel ourselves struggling, right, and we're upset about the struggle, and because we're upset about the struggle, that itself is going to put us at a disadvantage within the struggle itself because I, 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 I skipped this piece of it. Feeling bad about having the negative thoughts is more likely to, 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 to drive us to making a bad choice than if we had a more even keel about it. So the idea is that focusing or thinking about the struggle in a negative way is actually more destructive than dealing with it in a, in, in a healthy way. So the advice that the Rebbe gave so often was, don't get bent out of shape about the struggle. It's a normal part of the human condition. That doesn't mean enjoy life and do whatever you want. That's not what the Rebbe, that's, that wasn't the conclusion. It was don't get up, don't let that, um, take you down to make you despondent to then lead to the next negative choice. Realize that this is, it's all by design. You have that negative inclination, but stay calm and make the right choice. So it's all about being able to deal with the, the struggle in a healthy way to make a positive choice because we're more likely to make a positive choice when we're in a better state of being. So that's the clarification over there. So it's not necessarily a contradiction. The Rebbe's advice would still be make the right choice. But for the person that's not there yet because they're all just worried about the struggle, the first message is don't worry too much about the struggle. And from that place of lack of worry, now make the right choice. Hope that makes sense. Donna, go ahead. Um, yes. So I understand how that, like, overcoming folly for us, you know, our group, you know, in our normal day-to-day day -day lives, how this impacts it and is helpful. But, like, taking it to another level, like all the atrocities in the world that people can do, the very horrible things, I mean, does, does that mean that their form and function that were in the evil part was somehow completely out of kilter? So it's really hard. It's really hard for me to definitively say something about that. Um, you know, what, what, what happened in that case? On a simple level, we could say that that was the product of people choosing evil in a very large scale or repeatedly, but people making evil choices. I think, and this ties into certainly tonight's conversation um, um, at, at our Holocaust Remembrance event. So it's easier 
to say that the Holocaust was perpetrated by monsters. It's easier to say that than to say that it was perpetrated by human beings, just like you and I. Right? It's easier to say that they were just monsters and it was an aberration and, you know, it was just a fluke. But that's not the truth. The truth is that these were people that considered themselves good people. These were people that came home to families, that played with their kids. These were people that, 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 that cared about other things and other people. And yet, they made choices. They made horrific choices. And by the way, just because I just literally said that these were people that cared about their children does not mean that I'm in any way justifying, I, I hope I don't need to explain this, but just for the sake of clarity and for 100%, 100% clarity here, what I'm trying to say is that evil is more nuanced than just, you know, than just they were monsters. They were monsters is a cop-out. It's a cop-out. And it's a safety, honestly, it's a safety mechanism to make us feel like, well, it's never going to happen again. Why? Because the odds of a confluence of a bunch of monsters being all together at the same time, same place, what are the odds that that's ever going to happen again? Therefore, we have nothing to worry about, right? And the truth is, that's not the truth. The truth is, um, yeah, as Tony writes, the banality of evil, right, exactly. It's the evil, evil is much more nuanced. It's much, more, it's much more subtle. And, and, and so you could have a person that makes good choices also, that makes horrific choices. Yeah? And, and, that's, and that's horrific. And that's evil. And that could lead to, God forbid, atrocities on, a, on an unimaginable scale. But I think we do ourselves a disservice if we pretend that this is not a potential within, within a human being. That this is only the, the, the product of being of, of a monster. It's, it's a, it's a, it, it's, it, does, it does all of us a disservice to pretend that. Now, am I suggesting that you and I could get to that place? No, I'm not suggesting that, right? Because why would I suggest that about people that I like, right? Why would I do that, right? I like myself and I like you guys. So why would I suggest that? That's horrible for me to say that. But... <laughs> what about other people? No. But, but is that part of the potential of the human condition? Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. Joy. So I think another part of that is, is following on what Donna had to say, is even in the scenario of which you speak, if I as an individual made the good choice, I may well be punished or eliminated for my good choice. So I think that adds another layer of complexity to Donna's question. Right, right. You're saying people that go along with evil because they feel like they don't have a choice otherwise. I think I'm more saying people that would have opposed evil and spoken out against it are eliminated right along with the people that were the target of the elimination. Right. I think what you said is true, but my point was the latter point of people that might try to make a stand, might try to push back against the evil, will be taken out right along with the right. target audience. So right, true. right. Yeah, yeah, true, true. And I think here, I think, you know, if we, if we want to refocus on, 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 on our, really where this text is going, 
There is evil in the world. There is evil. And, and that's a general category for evil choices, evil things, evil thoughts, whatever that, it's, it's a general category. But what, what it comes down to for you and I is like this, that yes, there is evil and it comes in many different forms and it comes in different degrees, right? It could be like, it's like um, hot sauce. It can come in different temperatures, right? It could be like mild, medium, very hot, super hot, and like, you know, steam. So evil can come in, in different temperatures, so to speak. But what's, what's, the, what's common, to, what, what, what's across the board the same is that our job, our, our mission in life is to withstand the voices of negativity and to make the right choice. And to know, and part of this, which is what, what our text is saying, is to know that when, if and when we might make a choice that's not in our best interest, right, that we are actually falling lower than where that potential for evil lies in and of itself. Because the potential for evil is divinely ordained. But the choice... That's our doing. That's our choice, and that's falling in lower down the rabbit hole, if you will. All right. So with that... Can I do one? Ask one follow-up? Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. So um, I know that uh, allegedly there's more of... Uh, the, the, the good inclination is stronger in us than the evil inclination by a little bit. It just tips the scale slightly in that, um, you know, we were, or Adam and Eve... Uh, had uh, perfection in a perfect world before they were uh, <clears throat> things were introduced from the outside, but they were also um, kind of set up, and they <clears throat> they were also kind of um, kind of gullible or or innocent uh, because they hadn't really experienced this and they didn't really know the full effects of it if they took it on. But it did come from the outside. Uh, it wasn't part of us. Uh, so I don't. I mean, I I don't. I, I think that it's going to create, it creates guilt. I, I think it creates um, feeling bad about ourselves if we say our purpose is to do good and yet we keep failing. So I, I just think it, apparently our purpose is to just be, um, you know, adapt, 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 and uh, do the best we can. But, I mean, they, the, the, these tests are not just a serpent, uh, you know, whispering sweet nothings into our ear about uh, a nice dessert. I mean, it's death. It's loss of uh, 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 life savings. It's uh, it's horrific things that people have to deal with, and um, you know I, I, I know I'm 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 a little emotional because my brother has passed away about three two and a half weeks ago. But you know I want to be that person who is happy uh, in believing uh, uh, that that trust in God. You know, happy is the man that trusts in God, and yet um, I'm. You know, I, I have a moment where I'm thinking, well, uh, am I going to trust in the one that, you know, just kills off each one of us one by one because my brother just died at 61 and now, you know, I'm older than he is, so I'm going to go and then they're, they're going to go. So it's, I think it's, I, I, I just think that our purpose really, most of what we can do is just, just adapt and, and we're like emotion processors, you know, just process the thing I'm, uh, hitting us and. You know, as we get older, we're all going to experience this. It's going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that 
our purpose is to, uh, you know, be good. I think our purpose is to, um, you know, deal with what, what is thrown at us while, you know, trying, yes, trying to be good, but um, it just seems like it's not a, it's an external thing. It's not even part of us, this, this, this negativity, because it, it came from the outside and it's, seems our primary purpose is to deal with this, uh, you know, this, all this unfairness. That's yeah. Thrusted. Yeah. And Yaakov, I'm sorry for, for everything that you've, uh, that you've gone through. I know that, uh, that it's, uh, that it's been a, it's been a rough run and just sending all the love and support that I, that, that we can. So just, uh, just know that we're always here for you. Um, let's jump into our text inside. And I think, um, we're all going to, uh, to see some, some ideas here that we spoke about and some new ideas perhaps that we haven't yet shared today so far. So let me just check in with you that you can see the text, page 66. Can you thumbs up if you can see that? Okay, fantastic. Make it a little bit bigger. Um, zoom in a little bit on it. And I'm going to read. We're up to chapter 3, which is, as you see here, the header is the broader definition of evil, which is definitely on, on, on today's theme as we've been discussing. Now, he says, what we describe, I'm reading, reading inside, we're go, the, the goal is to finish this, I believe we're going to try to finish this discourse. So we have a little bit more to study, but we're going to close out this, this section. Now, what we describe concerning the Sitra Achra applies to the 365 prohibitions of the Torah and all the rabbinic injunctions. For these prohibitions cover things that are all contrary to his will and reason and their very antithesis. So what we're doing now is we're broadening our definition of evil by saying evil is not just typically what we consider evil, right? Like, uh, you know, whatever a person might think of as evil, but it also refers to as anything forbidden by the Torah. Anything forbidden by the Torah would be relative to the laws of Torah, right? Relative to God's desire for us in the category of the forbidden. If it's forbidden, then it's the prohibitive. If it's prohibited, then it then it's in the category of don't touch it, don't do it. It's the it's the no category. It's the evil category. So a person might say, well, it doesn't seem evil, it doesn't look evil. True, but from the perspective of Torah and purpose, it falls into that it falls into that category. Hold on one second. All right. So. Give me one second. All right. So here's what we have now. So we're talking about the idea that evil is not just that which we immediately understand as evil, but anything, generally speaking, anything that the Torah prohibits would be that category of Klippa and Sitrachra, i.e. the other side. Let's continue inside, middle of this uh, second to last chap uh, paragraph in chapter 3. They are absolutely separated from his unity and oneness, like the Sitrachra, which is called idolatry and other gods, because of the concealment of the divine will as explained above in chapter 2. Anything that's prohibited by Torah would be called opposite of what God wants. Right? So God says, I want you to... Oh, we have a good example coming up. Passover, right? Passover, the mitzvah is to eat matzah, the unleavened bread, and not to eat chametz, the leavened bread, right? So I ask you a question. Is a bagel evil? 
Nothing evil about a bagel, right? But on Passover, it's forbidden. So what does that mean? That on Passover, the bagel becomes antithetical to God's will. Again, not that a bagel becomes evil, like, oh, wow, bagels are evil. That's a bit of an overstatement. That, that sounds a little bit silly. But relative to what God wants, the bagel on Passover, again, specific time, context, the bagel becomes that which is opposite of the divine will. So what, what that means is, on a very simple level, is that a choice of a bagel on Passover is choosing the opposite of the purpose for which God wants for us. And so, yes, it doesn't smack of evil in the traditional way, but that's exactly why the, the chapter heading here says broader definition of evil. Evil is not just the things that we immediately um, identify as evil. Evil is, and maybe evil is too strong of a term, term in English, but what it means is anything that's opposite or contrary to the divine will, even in a specific context, um, would fit into this category. Now, he takes it even further. It's not just the bagel, but it's also the investment of the person in that experience that also now becomes sucked into that dark place. Likewise, the three garments of the soul of Israel, deriving from Klibat Noga, which we explained before, Klibat Noga, we're going to save this for another conversation. It's too big of a topic to speak of, but just simply, namely the thought, speech, and One second. And deed, invested in the 365 Torah prohibitions and the rabbinic prohibitions, and the soul itself, for that matter, that manifests itself through these three garments, are completely united with the Sitra Akra and this Klipa, which is called idolatry. Now, again, very important. There is objective Sitra Akra and Klipa in the world. There are things that are absolutely evil, and contrary to, to God's will in this world. And then you have things that in and of themselves seem innocent, but in the context of the Torah mitzvot become in the don't touch that category. And sometimes, as I said with the example of a bagel on Passover, sometimes something that for 350 whatever it is, days of the year is fine, but on Passover, it's not fine, so for that time, it becomes not okay. And what he's saying is that the, not only is the, the choice not okay, but the investment of the energy of a person into that choice would also be aligning with Sitra Akra and Klipa for that moment. So yes, a bagel is not evil but a bagel on Passover is in the category of Sitrachra and Klippa. And a person is not evil, but a person investing their energy in something that is not what we should be doing is investing the energy into the realm of Sitrachra and Klippa, at least at that moment. At least at that moment. And remember, remember what I said before. If this sounds like it's a little harsh, the whole point is to be a wake-up call for us. There are different approaches. Sometimes we need a piece of paper that says, you matter, you're important, God loves you. And sometimes you need a piece of paper that says, 
hey, if you make this choice, even a mosquito is kadmach, even a mosquito is superior. Sometimes you need some, 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 some harsh perspective. And each one of us knows, number one, what works best for us, but also each one of us knows that sometimes you need a little tough love. Sometimes the positive message of, you know, the world is waiting for me. Let me jump in and let me do something noble. That's great. But sometimes to stop us from making a mistake, we need a little bit of a different approach. This is that different approach. One of the many approaches in the book, Overcoming Folly. It has many approaches. This is one. Let's continue inside. Moreover, they are null and subservient. The energies of the soul that are invested in that negative behavior, these energies of the soul are becoming bottle. They are becoming subservient to the Sitra Akra and far more base and worthless. Why? In other words, it's not only is it subservient to the Sitra Akra, to the other side, but it's even worse. As I said before, but now he's spelling it out here inside. The Sitra Akra is not invested in a physical body. The Sitra Akra recognizes its creator and does not intend to rebel against him. Right? The evil, evil inclination does not rebel against God. It fulfills its task of visitation of evil only as a mission from God. This is the line that I've been referencing in case you're wondering where I got this notion that evil is doing God's work. This is the line right here. Right? The Sitra Akhra does not have a physical body. It doesn't, in other words, it doesn't have anything that moves it away from its purpose. It literally recognizes its creator and it does not intend to rebel against him. It fulfills its task of visitation of evil only as a mission from God. It is literally doing its job. But when we listen to it, we are not doing our job. Balaam declared, Balaam, the, the, the archetype of evil. And the Torah says, I cannot violate the word of God. Even Balaam says, even the evil, wicked prophet says, I cannot violate the word of God. Even he realizes that, that, that he stands as, a, um, as subservient to God. While the klipot indeed are called idols, which indicates that they go against God, that's not true 100%. They do call him the God of gods. They are incapable, look at this, they are incapable of violating his will. That's it. That's all you need to know. Evil is incapable of violating his will. It doesn't have free choice. For they comprehend fully that he is their life and existence. Comprehending not in a way of, of, of human comprehension, but that's their, their nature. Their nurture is from the hinder part of the hinder part of the divine will that encompasses them, which we spoke about a few chapters ago. Although it is in a state of exile within them, since they consider themselves deities, but that's all by design. They are designed in a way that the divine energy and life force does not fully integrate within them. And due to that lack of integration, they feel separate from God's will. But all of that is by design. So while this is a denial of his oneness, it is not quite a denial and rejection of God, completely a denial of his existence. Rather, they call him God of gods, the source of their existence of vitality, which issues from him, and so they never defy his will. The point is that what we call klipa and sitra akra, what we call evil and the other side, or the shell and the other side, those energies never go against God's will. On the contrary, they absolutely follow God's will. God's will is for them 
to stand opposite God's will. That's literally what God wants from them. God wants them to be the false flag. I don't know if that's the right term. Maybe false flag means something else. But the false, um, I don't know, um, thinking like in a maze, right, where you can fall and you make a false turn and you hit a dead end. God put in those dead ends. So the fact that it's a dead end, that it doesn't get you to the source, that's by design. That's by design. So the evil itself is not going against God's will. On the other hand, a person who transgresses God's will is far inferior to the Sitra Akra and Klippa, which is called idolatry and other gods. The person is totally separated from God's unity and oneness at that moment, far more than is the Sitra Akra. Why? Because again, the Sitra Akra is aligned with God's purpose. It is the Sitra Akra by design. But a person that chooses Sitra Akra activity is deviating from what God wants from the person. Let's continue and conclude the chapter, or the, yeah, the chapter and that discourse number three. It is though, sorry, it is as though he denies God even more than the Sitra Akra does, God forbid. And this speaks to the power of choice, to the power of the human being, and to how I started this class, to the duality of form and function and the schism that can develop within form and function within the human being. Everything in creation is created to be perfectly attuned to its purpose. It is aligned with its purpose naturally. There's a symbiotic relationship there, except for the human being. We're created in a way where we have another voice, and although that can give us an out or a cop-out and say, not my fault. Listen, I have this other voice inside, so then don't blame me. But that's not the angle that this text is taking. This text is trying to give us a meditation in our heads so that when the voice comes into our heads, we can tell ourselves, I don't want to be out of alignment from my purpose. I don't want to be worse than the Sitra Akra and Klippa, so I'm not going to do it. And I hope that's clear. This text is not intending to beat us down and to make us feel bad. That is not at all the intention. I, in fact, I was pretty clear about stating the intention, even though I've said it many times in the previous few months. I made a point to speak for about 15 and 20 minutes today, this morning, about the purpose of this text so that it should never be misconstrued what the purpose of this text is. This is not at all trying to make us feel bad or to make us feel guilty, not at all. This is to provide us a meditation in our own minds so that when the klipa, when that inner voice comes at us with a negative thought, we can tell it, I know what you want. You want me to do something that goes against my purpose, something that not even you are doing. Do you see what I just said? You can tell the inner voice, you want me to do something that you yourself are not doing? You yourself are following orders. That's why you're telling me to, to do something wrong. You want me to not follow my orders? Come on, you would never do that. You see, you see how, that's a, how that's a meditation? Tell your inner evil inclination, how dare you? How dare you expect from me something you don't expect from yourself. You yourself are true to your mission. 
You yourself are true to your purpose. You yourself are doing a great job. I shouldn't do a great job. My purpose is to listen to you and say, nah, not now, not, not, not for me. You really want me to succumb to your, to your, uh, to your idea? That would make me worse than you. That's, that's ridiculous. Why would I ever do such a thing? This is, again, you could read this, what we just read, and say, oh my gosh, this is who I, this is, this is so, so heavy. A person who, who does, who does something against God's will is worse than Klippa Sitra What, you think the Rebbe Rashab is trying to, 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 to make us feel bad, make us feel guilty? That's not the purpose of this text. The purpose of this text is very, very simple. It's about giving us a meditation. It's training our minds to think. I gave an intro today. It's to train our minds with certain thoughts, to ingrain certain thoughts in our mind so that when other thoughts come in, we can quickly move them away. We can quickly push them away. So when the thought comes to our mind, oh, do this, do that, do the other, and we know it's unhealthy, we can tell ourselves, and not only tell ourselves, we can tell that thought, Mr. Thought or Mrs. Thought, or professor thought, really? You're doing your job. You do your job, I'll do my job. It's like the fellow who was going house to house asking for money, and he goes, knocks on, uh, knocks on the wealthy man's house, five o'clock in the morning, he's pounding on the door, and the, 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 he was a banker. The banker hears the knock on the door, he wants to go back to sleep, but pounding gets louder and louder and louder. Eventually, he opens up the door, he says, what's, what's wrong? Is it, is it an emergency? He's like, listen, I need some money. He says, five o'clock in the morning, you're asking for money? Why don't you come back at a decent time? I'll give you money, but like, why, why so early? He's like, listen, Mr. Banker, look, I, I don't tell you when to start your job. Don't tell me when to start my job, right? I don't tell you when to work. Don't tell me when to work, right? Everyone has their own hours. So this is the way, okay, not exactly that, but tell, tell the Yetzirah, tell that negative voice inside, do me a favor, do me a favor. You're doing your job, let me do my job. You're listening to God, let me listen to God by not listening to you, right? What, you want me to be worse than you? You're listening to God by providing this, this idea, to this temptation. You want me to not listen to God by listening to you? <laughs> that, you know that God's in control. You want me to not know that? Come on, we're on the same team here, right? We're all in on it together. You really are about God. I'm also going to be about God. So come on, take it easy. I'm not doing that. That's a way to, 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 get, to get out of that fear state of, I need to do what I have to do. It. Just tell yourself, one second. Don't take it so seriously. It's just doing its job. I have my job. It has its job. We don't need to go against what God wants. Um, all right, that takes us to the end of today's conversation. Next week, next week, we are going to continue our exploration of this and take it further because I actually have this pulled up. I have the book right in front of me. I could use the book, um, but we have the, I have the PDF up anyway. So in the, next, in the next discourse, okay, here's a preview for next Sunday. We're going to talk about why it is sometimes that the big things, the big challenges, we can, we can get done. We can, uh, we can succeed at. But the little challenges seem much more difficult sometimes, right? Like the big things, 
we find it easier to take care of, but the little things, the little things are, can so often be the thorns in our side. Where does that come from psychologically? So we have a good meditation today, right? We have a really, I think, we have a really good meditation. Evil inclination, my friend, you're aligned with God. Let me be aligned with God also. That's a good line. That's a really good line. We can use that within ourselves. But next week, we address another issue. That is, why is it that the little things can be the most devastating? It's the little, the little challenges that provide the most challenge. I think I may want to share even a, a poem with you. I have a poem in mind. I'll see if I can find it. All right, all coming up next week at Kabbalah and Coffee. Thank you for joining me today. Don't forget tonight, David Lazan's mom, 7 p.m., um, for those of you that are VIPs, we're going to have a pre-event conversation. At 6.30, I'm sending out another link. So there's one link for the 7 p.m. I'm sending out another link for our pre-event conversation. We're going to speak about, um, what is the topic we're going to speak about? Um, I'll, I'll write in the email for those of you that are, um, that are on it. I had a title, but I'm, I just can't remember the title right now. But it's a pre-event conversation about the Holocaust, about the nature of evil, and also about, the, about what, what, our, what our calling is um, in a world that is so often filled with, um, with atrocity and with, uh, with, 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 with evil. What is our role in, uh, in, in ensuring never again and ensuring that, uh, that the world that we live in is, is a good place? So that's all 6.30 pre-event conversation. 7 p.m. main event for those that are signed on to it. Great. Uh, can't wait to see you. For those that are not yet signed on, jump on in, in towntrewishacademy.org slash faith. All right. We'll see you all soon. Um, Shavua Tov. Have a great week. Oh, one more thing. Also need to mention, Thursday night, paint night with Tanya. Give me one second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Stay with me. We have some gorgeous art kits. Paint night with Tanya. This has actual paint inside, so I don't really want to tip it over too much. I mean, not like the paint, paint is open, but in, this, in these massive boxes are the canvases and the paint and the paintbrushes and the smocks and tablecloths and, and everything you need to successfully pull off this paint night. We have a gorgeous, gorgeous work of art that everyone's going to paint. Successfully, that's the guarantee. Well, that's the artist's guarantee to me. So that will be coming up Thursday. This Thursday, March 18th, I believe, is the date. And don't forget, next Monday. So tomorrow night is Rosh Chodesh Society. Leah is teaching. My wife is teaching. And don't forget, next week, next Monday night, is our Passover jewelry workshop with our awesome jewelry kit, Donna. This is uh, Donna will be leading the workshop. All right, so that's all the news that's fit to print. I want to wish you a wonderful week. We'll see you all very soon. Take care, everybody. Shavua Tov. And happy, happy Rosh Chodesh. Happy Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Special day. Take care, everybody. Bye, everybody.